How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode two of Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed. Had a really good time with the first issue. Let's hope that this second issue continues that trend. So let's not waste any time and get right on in. This is Phoenix Resurrection, the return of Jean Grey number two, whose cover dated March 2018. Title is Chapter 2, All Lesser Birds, written by Matthew Rosenberg with pencils by Carlos Pacheco. Inks, Rafael Fonteras. Uh, colors, Rachel Rosenberg, letters, VCs, Travis Lanham, edits, Harrington, Robinson, Shan, Panicia, and Alonzo. Lots of editors here. Cover price, $4, and went on sale January 3rd of 2018. Now we open, and we're 254 miles above the Earth, where an astronaut is, uh, well, doing something with a satellite. Uh, what he is doing is really isn't important. It's what he sees that is, and what he sees is... You know, fire in the sky. Now, we don't get all that good a look at it, but considering our topic today, we might be able to hazard a guess as to its origins. Now, 254, they make a, uh, they really specify how far this is out, and I wonder, and this isn't me being coy or cute or anything, I honestly wonder if that number might wind up meaning something. And I only ask this because uh, in just a few pages, we're going to have our attention drawn to another number. So I don't know if that one means anything either, but hey, it's worth, uh, you know, throwing in the old uh, memory bank here. 254. Now we shift back to the elsewhere. Jean is sleeping in bed, but appears to be in a bit of distress. Now she mumbles to herself that it's better this way. Whether that means it's better that she's locked away in this weird elsewhere, or, as, as the uh, Zatanna children said last issue, that she was better off dead, I don't know. Now, as she, uh, you know, tosses and turns, the objects in her room begin to levitate before crashing down, which wakes her up. From here, we get our double-page spread of creds, and now it's the next morning, and it's 7.36 to be exact. Like I said like a minute ago, I wonder if 736 might wind up meaning something, or maybe it does mean something and I just don't get it. Or if I'm, you know, just back to looking for symbols where none of them actually are. Anyway, the thing is, she's late for work, so she rushes outside. There, she sees that her regular landscaper has arrived to mow her lawn. And uh, that's not a euphemism, and shame on you for thinking it was. She refers to him as Jamie. Not sure if this is supposed to be Jamie Madrox. Maybe? I don't know. She seems kind of surprised to see him. She wasn't sure he'd be coming today. He just explains that he had uh, wrapped up early at Miss Leewald's house, so he figured why not fit Jean's house in too. Now, Leewald is kind of a deep cut, um, if it's a reference at all, that is. Uh, if it is a reference, well, you all remember that uh, Joe Casey run, right? That one that we were all looking forward to so much. 
but wound up being so edgy we could hardly even hold it without cutting ourselves. Remember that one? Yeah. Well, Miranda Leevald was Stacy X, which is a play on X Stacy or Ecstasy, the mutant sex worker, who we once saw <clears throat> servicing former President of the United States Bill Clinton. Now, did you know that was originally supposed to be Rudy Giuliani in that scene? Getting the service, not giving it to old Bill, that is. Uh, this came out in the wake of 9-11, however, so Rudy was being seen as America's mayor at this point, and so I suppose Marvel decided to put their political biases aside for the greater good. Probably wouldn't happen in current year, but, uh, hey, points to him for back in the day. Anywho, Gene asked Jamie if he felt a bit of a tremor the night before, to which he says he did not. Jean assumes that she must have dreamt it then, and goes on with her commute to the Elsewhere Diner. Scenes shift, and we are at the Xavier Institute. The X-Men are still trying to figure out exactly what they're up against. Old Man Logan rattles off what they do know, and it pretty much comes down to the fact that Phoenix is back. Magic wonders if this also means that Jean is back. Logan says, hey, I never said that, because nobody knows. And I mean, let's be honest here. The Phoenix hasn't been gone all that long, right? At least relative to Jean, I mean. Jean's been dead since New X-Men number 150, which hit shelves in late 2003. So, I mean, that's almost 20 years ago. I think the last time we saw the Phoenix Force was during that horrendous X-Men snuff job that we know as AVX that ran for, like, felt like years. (laughs) 2010 to 2012 or whatever. Uh, Beast backs up Logan's statement. They know this is Phoenix, but that's all they know. He doesn't know why it would cause Cerebro to ping, however. Now, Kitty reveals that Cerebro has found some new signals worth investigating. Unfortunately, all their psychics are currently missing, and so nobody can actually operate the device to get any more information. A helpful editorial footnote refers us to Jean Grey number 10 to see what's going on with all the missing psychic ex-folks. What Kitty doesn't really pay attention to is the fact that there is one fella at this table who might be able to work the thing in its old man cable. Back to the Elsewhere Diner, Jean is chatting up a gray-haired customer who introduces himself as Eric. He says he's a friend of Jean's old teacher, to which she asks if he means Mr. Claremont, which is pretty cute. It's also worth noting that there's a tap at the diner labeled as Burns, so we have Claremont and Burn right in here. Uh, He asks what's good, and she suggests he order the lumberjack, and he's cool with that. Now, as they talk, he's stirring his coffee and playing with the spoon, and making it bend, so this is either Magneto or Yuri Geller. Maybe they're the same guy. I don't know if I've seen them both in the same room before, so who knows. From here, we jump back to the Cerebro hub, and Cable is strapped in and ready to give it his best go. It takes him a while to feel anything, but when it hits him, it really hits him. He feels intense pain before the helmet overloads with feedback, which knocks him the F out. We jump back to the diner. Now, Jean is putting Eric's order in, and we see Annie from last issue, who I mistakenly assume was just a regular patron of the Elsewhere Diner, when now it looks as though she's, you know, maybe she's the shift manager or something. Not that that really matters, I suppose. I don't know that we need to know the, uh, the executive structure of the Elsewhere Diner. Uh, Now, our fry cook, if I'm not mistaken, and I very well might be, appears to be John Proudstar. Now, Annie notices that Jean's not quite right and asks what's troubling her, to which Jean reveals that she's been having some troubles of late. Nightmares, weird feelings, hallucinations. She seems to be coming around, you know? like It feels like she's breaking from the elsewhere delusion. She's becoming real again. 
Then the conversation shifts to Scott, who, according to Annie, is, quote, back in town. Now, Gene very nearly has a revelation here, but winds up distracted when the order for that lumberjack slam is up. And so she smears a big ol' smile across her face, scoops up the tray, and heads out to deliver it. Only, her patron seems to be no longer there. We jump back to Xavier's, and Kitty is giving orders. You remember how last issue they split into three teams to do some MacGuffining, right? Remember that? Well, this time they're splitting it to seven. They're going to use whatever information they were able to glean from Cable's brief use of Cerebro, and they're going to visit five different Phoenix-relevant locations while Beast and Jubilee will lead their teams out to try and track down the missing psychic mutants. Now, Kitty reminds the X-Men that the Phoenix Force can end all life on Earth, should it please. You know, like the asparaguses from back in the long ago. So, we have our orders. Let's split up. We've got our gold team, and it consists of Kitty, Storm, Colossus, and Nightcrawler, and we see them at Jamaica Bay, which is, for many intents and purposes, the birthplace of the Phoenix, first place we ever saw her. We've got a silver team, and it's basically a smaller squad of the Weapon Xers. we got Old Man Logan, Domino, and Sabretooth, and they're hanging out at the ruins of Genosha. we got a black team, and it's Dazzler, Pixie, Shatterstar, and the no longer King Satan strong guy. Uh, they're walking the sewer system under Manhattan, probably roundabouts to Hellfire Club. The blue team is, well, same as it was last issue. Young Cyclops, Young Beast, Young Angel, Young Iceman, and Rogue. And they're at the Savage Land, which, man, I guess they pulled the short straw, huh? Because they must be so bored right now. I mean, the Savage Land is only on panel for, like, one single panel, but I'm already bored by it. Finally, we have our yellow team, and it consists of, well, it's not young Iceman, but he's not really old Iceman. We'll just say Iceman. Iceman, Boom Boom, Longshot, X-23, Chamber, and I want to say Hellion? Maybe it's Hellion? I don't know. They're at the old ex-mansion, though Bobby suggests they'd be better off searching in my current stomping grounds of Arizona because, well, our state capital is Phoenix. But um bum Anywho, they run into Magneto. But not like current-day Magneto, who they more often than not are cool with. This is an evil Magneto. Though, I suppose on who's currently writing Magneto, this could very well be a current-year take. Who knows? So, they face off with Bobby trying to make this confrontation as smooth as possible by basically asking over and over again if they cool. You know, like, hey, hey, we cool? Hey, we cool, man? Magneto responds by suggesting that not all mutants deserve to inherit the Earth, which is to say, no, no, we ain't cool, man. Longshot, in his infinite wisdom, decides to throw several metal blades at Magneto. I I mean, are you new here, man? Come on. Uh, the yellow team and Magneto break into a big ol' brouhaha at this point. Chamber manages to literally knock off Magneto's right arm with a blast of energy from his, you know, clavicle crater. But Magneto just goes and grows himself another right arm. He then orders a cup of coffee. Like, for real, Magneto orders a cup of coffee. Uh, Magneto then faces off with X-23, who he recognizes as being somewhat familiar... Laura, X-23, delivers a dropkick while snicking her toe claw, which goes right through uh, Magneto's dome, right? It goes, like, through his chin, up through the top of his head. You'd figure it would kill him, but instead it just makes him disappear. Uh, Boom Boom, in, you know, as the dust settles, confirms that, yeah, Magneto ordered a cup of coffee during their battle. Very strange, isn't it? Well, that takes us right back to the Elsewhere Diner. Our man Eric is back at the booth, waiting for his lumberjack slam to be delivered. 
Jean sees him and she's shocked to see him back. He apologizes for jamming out on her, claiming that he saw some folks he knew walking by. But it turns out he didn't know all of them. Huh. Has Jean never met X-23? I want to say she has not. Um, Jean points out that uh, old Eric's got himself a bloody nose, to which he says it's an old war injury. Then we wrap things up with Jean looking outside, where she sees the entire area burning up under a bird-shaped flame. Looks like the uh, apocalypse has come to elsewhere. So uh, that's where we leave it. So how about we talk about it? Um, well, if you pardon the pun, um, this series does continue its slow burn. And, uh, and I'm really, really digging it. Really and truly, this has been so much fun. And uh, it's funny because like, we're almost halfway through at this point, And I hate the fact that we're already almost halfway through. Which, to me, is a cynical and jaded X-Men fan. Um, that's an odd sensation <laughs> to have. Um, now, we get a lot of stories, especially nowadays, that purport to be like love letters to certain comics, properties, characters, and concepts, right? It's one of those things that I feel, personally, is uh, really reached a critical mass, you know? Uh, if we jump across the, well, not across the street anymore, but across the country to DC Comics here, they've had a lot of uh, big milestones of late in the past couple of years. We've had... You know, Action Comics 1000, Detective Comics 1000, uh, Detective Comics 1027, which is, you know, 1000 after Batman's first appearance. And a lot of these stories are love letter issues, where it's like you get a bunch of, a bunch of creators in there who want to be part of this milestone issue, and it's, it's just, hey, this is what makes this character great. Instead of actually telling a story, they just tell us something we already know. And I understand that. I certainly understand that. With this, we're in Marvel Legacy, right? Which is allegedly a celebration of Marvel's history, their lore, their legacy, if you will. And here we get this story, um, which we could probably look at as being something of a love letter to um, a certain era of the X-Men, certain characters of the X-Men, and it actually feels like one, you know? Um... But this is one that also has enough story meat to justify its existence. It's not just, hey, here's a bunch of pinups of Superman through the ages, and we're going to write some really, really purple prose around it to talk about how much we love this character. This feels more like all of the fan service elements are in service of not only the fan, but of the story. And, uh, I mean, let's not twist any words here. There is fan service here. That's for certain. But it's tempered with a really fun story and some mysteries that, only speaking personally, they really have me on the hook. Uh, so often, when we see these um, celebrations of characters and the subsequent love letter stories, to me, they offer so little outside of the fan service. It's so little, what do they call them, member, are they called member berries? Is that what we're calling them now? <laughs> it seems like it's just that sort of thing. Uh, this, on the other hand, reminds me a bit of our look at House of X and Powers of X very early on, where here I am scouring like every panel to find hints, clues, and symbolism. Even if there aren't any, it just adds so much to the experience. And, I mean, I'm, I'm taking note of random numbers that we're getting in here just to try to solve something that probably doesn't need solving. You know, I'm making mental notes of these numbers that we're seeing. It's like, I wonder if that's a reference to something. Because, I mean, 
using using numbers as references or as you know fan bait it's easy right i mean it's something that doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of effort but you can still get some pops from the cheap seats from it now that said let's uh look at some of our callbacks and a little bit of the fan service before getting into the actual meat of the story here now maybe it's jamie madrox as a landscaper at least i'm assuming it's madrox because i can't think of any other notable jamies that gene would know um, unless there's, you know, something in the Gene Gray story that I'm not aware of or I just forgot about. Uh, also, I can't believe we got a reference to Stacy X. I don't think that I've given that character a second thought in, like, well over a decade at this point. And it's funny, just, just you know, thinking about that character reminds me of how, how much I'd like to do a program... Sort of like an X-lapsed relapse program where I can discuss some of these older arcs, you know, stuff that I already read. And I mean, the Joe Casey into the Chuck Austin runs of Uncanny X-Men alone might make for some interesting chatter. And I figure if, you know, they decide when 2021 happens that maybe we add a couple more days to the week, then we might be able to do that. Uh, because I don't think anyone wants more than one episode out of me per day. And, uh... That includes me, so, you know, we'll put a pin in that one. I appreciated the nods to Byrne and Claremont. I thought that was pretty neat, considering, I mean, they're the architects of so much of what we're looking at right now in this very issue, the whole Phoenix lore, right? They they planted those seeds, and it's nice to see them getting a little bit of a call out here. Uh, Proud Star as the short order cook was something, uh, if it was, in fact, John Proud Star. I don't recall he and Gene being all that close. He was only around for, you know, a literal cup of coffee, and here he is, you know, at a place that serves coffee and uh, and breakfast foods. Uh, seeing the gold team at Jamaica Bay was nice. It's always cool to have a callback to that. Um, as was the weirdo Magneto versus the yellow team deal. I thought that was cool because it made me think, and... If I'm going to hazard a guess, uh, I'm thinking that this Magneto is probably a manifestation of genes, right? Which would explain why he's kind of stuck in amber. Like, this could be the crazy evil Magneto from the post-posing-as-Zorn-slash-Zorn-posting-as-Magneto Planet X story? I don't even know which way that story goes anymore. They <laughs> It seemed so cut and dry before Morrison left. Um, but that would explain why he didn't know X-23, right? She didn't show up until after Jean was gone. Now let's get into some of the meat of the issue. Now the part that stands out most to me is the brief scene in the kitchen area of the Elsewhere Diner. And this goes back to everything being a manifestation of Jean's here, because Jean's talking herself through her thoughts, right? And she almost has a revelation, which may or may not have caused the entire elsewhere to simply unravel, right? But she gets distracted and instantly snaps back into her happy-go-lucky waitress self. You know, I get the, uh, you know, to go back to my first point here, I get the feeling that all the citizens of elsewhere are creations of genes who are, who have been created in order to try to keep her distracted from real life. Because it seems as though every time real life starts to set in, she's distracted by someone, which returns her to a I don't know, more placid state? Maybe helps to keep the fugue going? I don't know. Now, we still have plenty of questions, of course, right? Um, first, how did Jean survive? Right? We, we, you know, we saw her pass at the end of uh, New X-Men number 150. Did she even die in the first place? 
is she in whatever the hell the white hot room is? Because I still don't have all that great a beat on what the white hot room is. Uh, Did she create the entirety of Elsewhere, or was she placed here? What, if any, is her connection to the Phoenix Force? I mean, so we've still got a ways to go here insofar as figuring things out, and to this point, I'm really, really digging it. Um, Now, the scenes with the various X-teams, not the strongest part of the issue, but they were a means to an end. Um, Definitely not the stars of this show. I'm expecting to see far more of them as we continue through the back half of the event, which is fine. Um, I do hope that it's not just more of the, you know, split into squads and do the thing. Because, I mean, that's a little little tropey. Um, but again, if that's my biggest concern, I'd say we're in a pretty good spot, right? Uh, one last thing before we go. Let's talk briefly about the art. Uh, I feel like it's been a minute since I'd last seen really anything out of Carlos Pacheco, and I was very happy to see him here. He's a wonderfully talented artist from a time in comics where I was very, very happy. <laughs> Not quite as jaded, nor as cynical as I am these days. Uh, and uh, it really took me back to, um, I don't know, more uh, hopeful days in comics for me. And I swear we just don't see enough, quite enough of him these days. Uh, I'd like to see more uh, Carlos Pacheco work. But uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about the second issue of Phoenix Resurrection. And uh, I suppose we'll put a pin in it right there. Um, now, there has been some interest in my taking a look back at the colored books. I did mention Uh, Last episode that I was inspired to maybe give the blue, gold, red, and black books another try And there appears to be some interest in that So I'm going to try to figure out a way to do that And uh, I will, you know, of course keep you all apprised as that comes together But I'm really thinking that it might be time to, uh, you know, bury the hatchet with the era of uh, X-Men books That made me go running for the hills So we'll see how that goes We will see how that goes Uh now, if you have any thoughts on this era of X-Books, this miniseries event in and of itself, please feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com as well as xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook in our little group, 90s X-Men is what you had to search for there to find us. And you can check out the entirety of the Chris and Reggie channel audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's where we'll leave it for today. I want to thank you all so much for sharing your time with me and uh, being on this Resurrect Slaps journey with me. And uh, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. Oh